This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, it's Civilized Barking, Zach Jackson. I'm back from vacation. I'm waiting, just like you guys are waiting, uh, the Sean Watson decision from Judge Sue L. Robinson, former federal judge, independent arbiter in this case. Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, I can't believe some people actually think that there's going to be no suspension. Um, on the flip side, I understand some of the momentum as the defense has gotten its word out and, and that the NFL is arguing for an unprecedented suspension and maybe a first-time judge wanted to. Anyway, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I like to write and talk about football. I'm glad you guys listen. You know, we could go through things. And as we record this, we are about six days from the open of training camp. Um, I don't think a former federal judge really gives a shit about the NFL schedule or the Cleveland Browns schedule. So maybe it'll be later today. Uh, maybe it'll be tomorrow. Maybe it won't be for upwards of a week and a half. And wouldn't that be super, super awkward if Deshaun Watson started training camp with the Browns and then got an indefinite suspension? I don't know what's going to happen, but not just because of this, but because I've wanted to. Um, I reached out to Brady Quinn, and he is going to join us. Um, you guys remember him as former first-round pick. Um, had a, I was going to say long winding. It wasn't really long. Injuries kind of hampered him. Had a winding NFL career. Now he's a media star. Um, frankly, Brady's really good on TV and the radio. So um, I listened to him in the morning on Fox Sports Radio. I just reached out by text, and we were able to agree on a day. And Brady's going to come in here. Right after this, and we're going to talk about um, what he's doing now. We're going to talk about what he thinks about all this Deshaun Watson stuff. I'll get some Browns recollections from him. So anyway, I just thought that would be a good way to do that. I'm not going to ramble for too long here. Um, you can go on the site on The Athletic and read what we've written about camp. And, you know, not to say nothing else matters or that the quarterback position is all that matters because that would be silly. But we know why the Browns made this trade. And we know that if they don't have Watson for 8 or 10 or 12 or 17 games, there's going to be big problems. Um, it's going to cause a scramble from the day that it happens as far as how they're divvying up reps and how they use the open roster spot, right, um, all the way through, you know, getting ready for everything. So the Browns signed up for this. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, um, most of you know I used to work for the Browns uh, at ClevelandBrowns.com until 2010. I knew Brady, um, but we were, did not have any kind of, like, long-lasting relationship or, or anything like that. Um, I, I feel really fortunate to that me reaching out and getting his number led to him coming on here. So uh, we're glad that he did it. <clears throat> I think he'll be really good. And if you give us a minute, we'll dial him up and we will talk Browns football and Deshaun Watson with Brady Quinn. All right. As promised, we have our very special guest, former Browns quarterback and rising media star Brady Quinn. Joining us on the Civilized Barking Podcast, Brady can be heard every morning on Fox Sports Radio on Two Pros and a Cup of Joe alongside Jonas Knox and LeVar Arrington. Uh, during football season, you see him on Saturday, on Big Fox Saturday. Um, Brady, which one's more fun, the, the TV glamour job or, or the talk in sports and life every morning? Uh, it's a tough call. Um, I don't know. I, they're so different. I mean, doing uh, morning sports talk radio – as much as it's sports talk, a lot of times, like you kind of mentioned, it's talking about life. It's talking about what's going on and different things that are happening. We, we try to keep it as light as possible, um, even though we, we do tend to have our, our arguments from time to time. But, you know, we're, we're cognizant of the fact that people are just driving to work. They just want to have, you know, something on that, that makes them laugh or makes them smile or maybe informs them or educates them on something. So, you know, that's one thing. I mean, the the whole college football pregame show, that's just, 
it's just a bunch of fun. It's kind of a circus. You know, you're on site. You can barely hear anything. Um, you get a really cool idea of what it would maybe be like to be a, a player at one of those schools, which is always fun and great to be a part of. Uh, obviously, spending time with, with Coach Meyer uh, and Bob Stoops in the past and uh, obviously Matt and Reggie as well. Like those guys, it's just it's such a blast every Saturday, it's especially when we visit a new campus. You know, you, you get to kind of, um, you know, see it, you know, again, what it would be like to be a player there. So they're just, they're so different. I just, I feel blessed to be able to do both um, because of that. Well, the morning show is super entertaining and I, and I think it's good, but I got to tell you, one of the reasons I listen is because I never know what LeVar is going to say. So I assume you're the same way, even though you're on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. I mean, we, we do, uh, we do some pre-show notes and, and sometimes like there will not be stuff included in those pre-show notes that gets talked about. And it's usually the creative mind of one LeVar Arrington. So <laughs> I give him all the credit. Uh, he, he reminds me like, it's kind of like that with Reggie, like Reggie sometimes on the pregame show, he'll say something that I'd be like, I did not expect him to say that. Or, or it was just completely off the wall. Uh, and, and every time I laugh. So, um, you know, both those guys have kind of crazy creative minds. You know, Brady, obviously football was your life for a long time and, um, you know, help, helped you get where you are. But did you ever see this as a path for you post-football? Is this something that maybe 10, 20 years ago you would have seen uh, as a post-playing career? No, I mean, honestly, I, I went to school kind of thinking worst to best case scenario and trying to prepare for that. So, you know, either football worked out and I was going to play until I got to choose to retire or it wasn't going to work out at all. And I was, um, you know, going to get my degree in finance and had a second major in political science. So I was probably going to go either you know, out into the, the business world and then maybe go back and get my JD MBA, practice law or something like that. And, and honestly, uh, I obviously fell somewhere in between. You know, um, didn't play as long as I would have liked to, didn't have the type of career I would have liked to. But, you know, born out of that was a lot of relationships, um, seeing a lot of different places, meeting a lot of different people. And it, it, it kind of opened up this world of broadcasting. Um, honestly, I had had a back injury with the St. Louis Rams. And Jeff Fisher had kind of mentioned to me while I was recovering, hey, man, I, I think you might be good at TV. You should, you should talk to your agent, maybe give it a shot or, or you know, kind of try it out. And it got to the point where, you know, I was being offered uh, these great opportunities to, to stay around the game, be around the game of football as compared as compared to, you know, how my body was feeling, you know, coming back from back surgery and then just really the opportunities that were there. And I, and I kind of thought as hard as it was to say goodbye to the game of football as a player, um, it was enticing enough and attractive enough to say, OK, um, you know, maybe I can I can build this other career around football but in the world of broadcasting. So I, I never planned for it. feel really just blessed for the opportunity to, to have it. And I've just tried to kind of take it and run with it. Yeah. You, you kind of answered this earlier when you talked about going to the different campuses and thing, but um, you've gotten better at it um, obviously. And, and I know how you're wired, you've worked at it. So, you know, how much of it is work and how much are you like, man, I can't believe that they actually pay me to do this. Um, it's a lot of work. I mean, I, I've tried to explain to people when, when you call a game, for example, which I, you know, the past couple of years, I haven't had as much of an opportunity to do that, but also love doing that too. You know, you're watching both teams, all three phases. When you're a player, you're just watching the opposing defense. You know, you're not really, you don't care to watch, you know, the, you know, the opposing offense or special teams. You're not breaking all that stuff down. Um, you're looking at situations, you're looking at, you know, your specific, you know, matchups and, and your opponent, and that's all you're focused in on. 
And so there's a lot of, a lot of prep work that goes behind it. And I, I think the hardest thing about it, whether you're calling games or you're doing a studio show, is there's a fine line between over-educating or over-informing, talking over people's heads and, and being entertaining. There's like a balance that you have to kind of walk and it has to be genuine. It has to be who you are. And I think one of the things I've learned the older I've gotten is, you know, not to be so much maybe what I feel like that, you know, the, the executives or the suits, if you will, uh, I think they want me to be or, or what sure. you know, someone else is just to be myself and, and, you know, be able to find those ways of entertaining uh, or, you know, educating people and, and pick and choose those spots. And, you know, if, if you're doing it the way you feel most comfortable, most confident, if you're prepared, uh, a lot of times it's, it's going to come off the right way or at least the most genuine way. And I think that resonates most with, with viewers and listeners. Right. Um, every day. Well, let's just put it this way, Brady. Up until two weeks ago when the Baker trade was official, um, for many months, the two most talked about quarterbacks in the NFL were both employed by the Cleveland Browns, and neither one of them was probably ever going to play in week one. So um, how much time, for those that don't listen, have you guys spent talking about Baker and Deshaun? And I just want you to, you know, kind of, um, you know, your two cents on where you think the Deshaun thing goes from here. Well, we've, we've spent too much time <laughs> yes. outside the private <laughs> talking about this, but I, I just think the whole entire situation is – it's unlike anything I think we've we've ever seen in the NFL. Like I, I really, now granted, I'm I'm I'll be 38. I I just don't recall anything in my lifetime that's even close to this. I mean, you're talking about a player that I, I would have thought for sure would be signing an extension after his third year, after what the Browns were able to accomplish, winning in Pittsburgh the way they did. I mean, absolutely mopping the floor with them. Baker having his best year. I, I just, I would have thought after that point, there would have been an extension. And then even after year four, uh, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, things didn't go well, but there was a lot of people who were banged up. He, you know, Baker was banged up. Uh, I, I want to see what happens going into year five, but he's got enough equity between what he's done his rookie year and his third year and, and, and kind of playing through some stuff for his team, his teammates, that there was going to be that opportunity for him to keep being the quarterback. And, and I just, it, it's crazy of all the people to go after. I mean, it's one thing if it was Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or someone else who had been rumored at wanting to go and be somewhere else and play somewhere else. But for a guy who, yes, is young and yes, is talented, but didn't even play last year and has all these different lawsuits that he was facing up until, you know, a couple of weeks ago, which there's obviously still some out there and still, you know, a, a suspension looming from the NFL. It was just shocking, you know, to, to see that, that that's who, you know, the quarterback of the future, at least whatever point this season, depending on the suspension, but in the foreseeable years, is going to be. And then the contract that went along with it, you know, so all those things, it's just, it's unlike any scenario I think that's ever played out in NFL history, especially when you're talking about a number one overall draft pick. So I have, you know, we've talked about it forever, I think because it's so fascinating. From every angle, whether it's from the Browns, you know, their front office, their ownership with Jimmy Haslam, and, and obviously him having to check off on all this in order to make it happen. You know, Baker and, and his career there, his personality, maybe what led to it, or what fracture in their relationship led to it. And then Deshaun, and whether it's the legal aspects of it or his potential as a player, 
or even just, you know, what happened over the past 18 months down in Houston and everything that's, that's happened. I mean, it's, it's all shocking, surprising. Uh, it, it's like the, it's like a soap opera. I mean, you, you really can't write this stuff up any better than what's happened in the NFL. Yeah, except for the Browns are trying to, you know, be an AFC contender, and, and you're not going to do that if you don't have your quarterback. Um, I just want to spit it to you like this. Like, I knew they were done with Baker, um, and I supported the move with the assumption that they had done all their research. And right now we're all waiting. We don't know. Um, but it looks like I've made the mistake of giving the Browns a benefit of the doubt. Um, and it feels like they got fooled here. Um, you know, I thought LeVar made a good point a couple of weeks ago when you guys were discussing it one of the dozens of times, as you mentioned, like when did they think this was going to go away? It's not going away anytime soon. So I just, I feel like they're still wading into a mess, even if it is only say an eight game suspension. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I just, I think the the thing is, is when they buy into it, into this, and we talked about this probably a few months ago. You know, in any business, you're always going to kind of play out the, the best worst case scenarios or you look at your percentage of probability of something happening, right? Like, hey, we feel pretty confident, you know, within the, the all, all the, you know, various ways this could play out up to the 90th percentile, right? We've got our 5% on, on either end of the spectrum. Uh, and we've got our 90% in between. Like, this is where we feel like the suspension is going to take place how much time he's going to miss, you know, how this is going to affect us for 2022, right? Like you had to have played out all those scenarios to know that at some point this would, this, you know, suspension was coming probably this year. And as soon as, you know, Deshaun, I don't want to say threatened to take the field, but had the opportunity to take the field, you know, last year you can call him sitting out whatever you want. I mean, it was kind of his choice or probably the Texans choice. I, I think the NFL would look better had they, you know, implemented some sort of either player's exempt yeah. list to where they took some action there and then maybe it could make a suspension a little softer this year or just in flat out done whatever investigation they could to suspend them. But I think the, the point you're bringing up is, you know, the, the Browns couldn't have known that this was going to be their option at quarterback until after the season. I mean, it wasn't like the Browns were even eliminated at the halfway point of the season. So regardless of whatever was going on with Baker – Coming off the season he had in year three and coming into the season of year four, you had to be thinking this is still our guy. He had done nothing to make you think otherwise, other other than some off-the-field antics stuff and maybe some stuff that, that was going on inside the, the facility that you know, only Baker and you know those behind closed doors are privy to. But I think the point is, is how could you possibly be thinking that Deshaun Watson was going to be the answer when the guys – I mean, he didn't think you were going to be the answer. He's got he's got Atlanta Falcons jerseys made up with his name on them. That's where he was going until he was offered the contract that he was offered. Yeah. So yeah. there had to have been surprises taking place with the additional lawsuits that have recently come about. And I'm sure not knowing all the details, not knowing some of the stuff that's been reported and been put out there on, on, on various platforms. So that's the hard thing is, um, look – a lot of organizations will do whatever it takes to win football against the NFL. Sure. And, and, and that's the risk that the Browns have taken in bringing on Deshaun. And, and will it pay off in the short term? Probably not. Probably not this year. But could it in the years to come? Yeah. I mean, he's that talented of a player where I think if he's healthy and with the, with the pieces that they have there, there's no reason they shouldn't think they can be a perennial playoff. No, no doubt. Um, 
It's at least a good roster, Brady. Some think it's a great roster. It might be. Um, I think it's a great roster. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got a stat for you here um, to show just you know the line they're walking here as we wait on, on the decision. The last time the Browns had the same head coach and same GM make it to year three for some continuity was your rookie year. How staggering is that? That is crazy. And 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 obviously the results were we were a 10-6 and six football team that year. Right. Um, and that was one of the things that like I was trying to preach to Randy Lerner and anyone who had listened back then. Because we go from a 10-6 football team that missed the playoffs to an injury-riddled team the following year that goes 4-12. And, and you're like, well, hold on for a second. You know, we had a fourth-string quarterback starting week 17 in Pittsburgh, our 16th game. Like there's going to be a lot of issues with that when you've even got your third stringer playing the last six games of the season, right. whatever it was five, five, six games. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, Ken, Ken Dorsey had to, I mean, it, you know, Derek started the season, then I got my chance and I got knocked out and had to get pins thrown on my finger. Then Derek went back in, then he got hurt. Then Ken Dorsey goes in, then he gets hurt. I mean, that's one position that doesn't count, you know, countless others that suffered injuries throughout the season. I think we ended up having, 12 guys on IR, 13 guys on IR. So, you know, the problem with the NFL is, is they just they succumb, I think, to public pressure, fan pressure, the media, instead of just, you know, seeing it through and saying, we know we've got the right pieces here. We've seen what we're capable of, but we've got to keep building on this and we've got to put blinders on, you know, put our headphones on, block out the noise and stay the course. Hmm. And I think too often times, Cleveland's been a victim of its own demise because you've had an ownership in particular with Jimmy Haslam's ownership of the Browns that's constantly turned over head coaches, general managers, which then turns over rosters. So, uh, you know, you're, you're only going to call it luck when you ever can get it to all stick together and actually work because that's what it is. You're not able to build a house if you keep breaking down the foundation every time and, and changing the architectural plans, right? right. And that's right. what it feels like it, it has happened sometimes. So right. hopefully this there is some patience, there is some long term view here and and you know the Browns can stick to it. I know you could probably go an hour on this, but I gotta ask you on a personal level. Um reflections, regrets from your own Browns career. How, all these years later, how do you look back on it? Um, I don't know. I mean, like there's there's I always would say this. I mean, I don't have any regrets about any of my time there. I loved the people there. Um, I worked on, I worked as hard as I possibly could have to give myself an opportunity to, to be successful there. Um, you know, I, I, I again, I, I loved the staff. I loved the players and my teammates that I was, I was along with. You know, who came our third year, I can't control. I mean, I, I know Eric Mangini wasn't a fan of me. And, uh, you know, I, I did my best to win that starting job, but I knew I wasn't the guy he wanted. Um, and that's a tough relationship to be involved with. And, you know, again, that that whole scenario is about as dysfunctional as it gets when you've got a head coach who fires his own best friend and general manager eight games in the season. You know, and then you casually on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. yeah. And then now you got Mike Holmgren coming in. I mean, I I remember having a very candid conversation with Mike Holmgren about all of it. And, um, you know, you know, he and I kind of got the sense from him that he felt like, look, there's no way this is going to work moving forward. Um, between you know you and Eric Mangini, and obviously they weren't firing Eric, so I got traded off. Um, and I think that was the, that was the that was the toughest thing, is you know wanting to to give everything I could for the team that was honestly a dream to get drafted to, was the team I grew up rooting for. Um, 
you know, I, I remember, you know, trying to play through my Liz Frank injury, which any doctor would tell you that's not what you want to do. But Eric convinced me I needed to go on IR because I couldn't be at 100%, and they needed the roster spot. Uh, and they didn't. And then the worst part is he didn't even use the roster spot for the for the position he told me they were going to use it for. <laughs> so it's just there was all kinds of things that, uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I wish I would have been able to re- remain healthy my, my second my second year there because I really felt like the roster that Phil Savage built, the coach that Romeo was, and with what we had there. You know, we, we could have made that work. It's just we had one down year, one unlucky year, and then the, they all got blown up. And, and then you kind of started this revolving door of coaches and general managers. And that's just – it's never going to work. Yeah, it's been the theme since then. Uh, before we get you out of here, Brady, Notre Dame to the Big Ten. Is it going to happen? Should it happen? I, I don't think it's going to happen if it does happen for a couple of years. They, they really do need to sort out, um, you know, what's going to happen with NBC Sports. But really before that, you know, who's a part of the Big Ten uh, media rights deal? You know, we know Fox will be a part of that. And then that then just comes down to whether it's ESPN, whether it's NBC Sports or at CBS Sports or whoever's a part of it. Because whoever's not a part of it, it's sports who gave up the SEC. And then NBC Sports, who only has Notre Dame in college football, you're going to have a bidding war um, that's going to allow Notre Dame to potentially create a market between those two networks, maybe even a streaming platform like Amazon, and, and see what they can make uh, a year for their home games while remaining independent, and then look and say, okay, can we create a partnership for our away games and for all our other sports, our Olympic sports, like we have with the ACC? And, and look, I'm sure they're going to have a conversation with the ACC because they're not getting a full share of the TV revenue yeah. from the ACC as it currently stands. Now, could they come back and say, hey, our deal's up with NBC Sports in order to, you know, keep us as, as a part of a member of this conference? You've got to give us a full share. So there's there's all those, um, you know, questions that I think will come up and I think will eventually help determine if they join a conference. I, I can definitively tell you this. If college football changes with season and the chance to play for a national championship in a way that would lock them out by being independent, yeah, then I then I think their hand is forced and they have to join a conference. But until that happens, and until there's such a gap between what they can earn as an independent and what they can make from the Big Ten conference per se, uh, I just I don't foresee them trying to give up that independent status until that day comes. But it does feel like that day is rapidly approaching with how much the Big Ten and the SEC are making at this point, as compared to the rest of the Power Five conferences. No, that's that's interesting. All right, last thing. Um, if I said if I mentioned Sugar Land and Kenny Chesney at Brown Stadium and Charlie Fryer, is there a story that you're aware of, or am I totally blindsiding you with with this story? Uh, no, I, I think it's blindsiding me. I mean, <laughs> okay. I've, I've been to a so... Kenny Chesney concert before. <laughs> uh, obviously, I was with Charlie Fry that first year. Okay. Uh, I don't recall ever going to a concert, though, at Cleveland Brown Stadium. Okay. All right. You weren't there, at least to my knowledge. So this was your rookie year. It was the Kenny Chesney concert, um, you know, maybe two weeks this time of year, right before camp starts, right? So I'm in my 20s at the time. I'm working for the Browns. I got like 12 seats. I think I'm a big shot, right? I'm there with my brother and our friends, and we're being idiots. Well, Charlie's there, too, with some people that work for the Browns, and they're up in the loge. And I'm not going to say anybody's partying, but why do you go to a country concert if you're not partying, right? So Jennifer Nettles' right. Sugarland is is the last act before um, Kenny comes on. 
And Charlie and his group have kind of made their way down to the floor right next to the stage. And Charlie's waving at people and people are waving at him. Well, Jennifer Nettles, for her last, uh, before her last song, she bounces behind the stage and she comes out and she's wearing a Brady Quinn jersey. And the crowd erupts. And Charlie is now waving bigger. He, his back is turned to the stage. He thinks the crowd is reacting to him. <laughs> so he's waving and the crowd's going nuts. Uh, and I'm about 15 rows away going, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Never in my wildest dreams did I think 15 years later I'd be talking to you about this, especially in, in a public forum. But I just always kind of wondered if you knew that story. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'd never heard that story. Um, and, and actually – uh, I do enjoy Sugarland. I've actually seen them in concert. Uh, yes. I haven't met Jennifer Nettles, but I, I did have a chance to see them in concert. She was fantastic. They were great. But I actually think that was probably after uh, my rookie year. So I don't even know that I would have even had the chance to ever bump into her or meet her. So um, that's obviously extremely flattering and cool to hear. I, I, look, there's a lot of awkward stuff that goes on, um, yeah. you know, when, when there's a quarterback drafted and, and there's a guy playing that the fans don't want to be playing. So. Yeah. I, 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 you know, through my journey in the NFL, I experienced every, every part of it. Being the guy who was, you know, the first round pick expected to be the guy and starting and playing, um, you know, being the guy as the backup, being the guy who's, you know, just trying to hang on. Like, I, I think maybe that's why I've been able to work out decently in broadcasting is because I can kind of speak from all those different perspectives. Sure. But um, it's, it, it's, it's a tough position to be in um, when, when you're, when you're in Charlie's few, you know, shoes in that instance, but uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of awkwardness at times. Well, Brady, you've been an excellent podcast guest and um, we know in your radio gig um, that the Cleveland Browns will always give you something to talk about. So uh, we appreciate you joining us. <laughs> well, hopefully it's a Super Bowl one day. I mean, that's the yeah. dream. So I'm, I'm hoping that there's a long-term plan and that's how it all pays off. Yeah. We will see how that goes. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, again, you know, we, we know what's out there. We're all waiting. Uh, for the Watson decision. So our next Civilized Barking podcast will be after that. But we thank Brady Quinn for being an awesome guest. We thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you as soon as there's a decision.